Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we've been finding, buying and creating income from investment properties for over 20 years. And we talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. And don't forget, very quickly, if you haven't joined the Business of Property email tribe, please do so. Just scroll down to the show notes, click on that button and you can join the list. Very, very simple to do. And today we are very privileged to welcome uh, Mr. Mike Stenhouse to the podcast. Now, I'll just say very quickly, if you haven't heard of Mike, I don't know what you've been listening to, because if you're listening to a podcast, I'm pretty sure you have heard of Mike. But Mike Stenhouse has run the Inside Property Investing podcast for around 10 years now, and it's uh, one of the most popular property podcasts on the podcast platforms. He's also been full-time in property investment since 2013, Mike, that is a very short introduction to your good self. Could you just give our listeners a very quick introduction in your words in terms of bringing us up to date on where you are in your property investing journey? Sure. I'll try my best. First of all, thank you for having me on the show, guys. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I have been investing for as long as I can remember. Uh, had a, a bit of a Cerebini obsession as a child. Um, <laughs> I've shared the details of that on other podcasts. So uh, normally I kind of, uh, I expand upon that, but um, sometimes people interpret it the wrong way. My, my, my sort of teenage year obsession with her. So we'll just brush past that swiftly. But yeah, I, I always had an interest in it. Started investing pretty early on, but a rundown cheap single let when I was 18. And that was kind of my entry point, but then didn't do much for a long time. Went and got a job, did the university thing and uh, bought my own place, made a bit of money on that, did it on the side alongside corporate life for a little while, realized that I enjoyed my sort of side job more so than the career, and uh, took a leap of faith with a lot of support from my wife. She stayed behind, kept the the, the salary coming in for mortgages and all that fun stuff, and uh, you know the rest is, is history. We built up a portfolio in and around Stockport, I'm obviously not from here originally, uh, but she's not too far away. So we we relocated back here. Been here since probably about 2013. I think that's when we started taking it really seriously. Um, and I suppose you know the kind of the the interesting piece. It was interesting. I still hang on to it because we're not as interesting anymore. We've kind of settled down into normal life. But we sold our house five or six years ago and went sailing for a little while uh, around the med for four years and tried to keep running the property business at the same time. So that was a, a fun challenge, a fun period in our lives and uh, yeah, introduced a lot of personal development, shall we say. Um, <laughs> and now we're back in the UK full-time, continuing to invest, uh, continuing to talk about it on the podcast and just you know generally enjoying all the turmoil and all the media headlines that are keeping everyone on their toes just now. Yes, it's certainly a lot of fun at the moment. And you, you kind of touched on it there. And thank you for the brief introduction. And we don't want to go too headlong into your sort of your your boat journey, because it's, it's, I get far too jealous when I think about it. But again, just for the listeners. So something you decided to do was to, to, to essentially buy a boat and mm-hmm. sail around the world, whilst also investing in property so i think it'd be interesting just to know how you got to that thought before we get into how you actually were able to implement that and make that happen if if that's okay yeah so from a a business point of view i think we came to the realization 
Victoria and I would sit next to each other in our office, in our home in Stockport, you know, most of every day working on the business. And although we were investing in Stockport, I'd go down and do site visits and, you know, she'd pop to Dunelm or Ikea and buy some stuff. But generally speaking, we were on our laptops and realized, well, hang on, we could kind of do this from from anywhere. There are absolutely aspects of investing that are easier if you are on the ground. But, you know, 90% of our time was laptop based rather than like out in the field. So we were young, didn't have any kids, wanted to do something adventure and and realized that we could probably just about we're like well if we can do 90% of it from our laptops we'll figure out the other 10% which was predominantly like you know viewings physically like seeing the property uh viewings inspections during construction and and that sort of stuff and uh we didn't have kids but we had a little dog so we wanted to go traveling but certain places are more difficult with dogs than than others uh we thought well if we could take the dog with us hotels may maybe not airbnbs it might work but like flying in between them might be problematic so let's make our transportation our home victoria grew up sailing and it just kind of came, you know, it, it was, well, let's, let's go sailing for a little while. Let's go and get our, our skipper's license. We saw other people doing it. It, it. There wasn't a huge amount. I wish there was, you know, that kind of like this well thought out plan. It just sort of happened. And then as with a lot of things in our life, it was like, oh yeah, here's this cool YouTube video of somebody living on a boat. And then six months later, we'd bought one and we were, we were off. So there wasn't much of a plan, but I suppose uh, a gung-ho attitude and thinking, what's the worst that can happen? We'll, we'll figure it out. Served us pretty well. It sounds like you follow a very similar approach to me. And I think with, you know, it's the, uh, you know, building the parachute once you've already jumped out of the plane type approach. Uh, it gives you a certain incentive, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I'm intrigued by the first thing you thought you'd need to sort out. So when you thought about, okay, we're going to be away on the sea actually quite detached not as connected what was the first thing you thought this is we're going to need this is the first thing we're going to what's the first domino that you had to knock down within the property business to sort so prior to even going the first one that i wanted to sort out was property management dealing with with people with maintenance issues with phone calls about somebody's nicked my food out of the cupboard like that i realized pretty quickly was a a, it was a big time drain, which was distracting me from higher value tasks in the business. And I realized that after a certain number of deals, I was a letting agent rather than a property investor. So that was the first thing that I wanted to outsource. But we'd made a start towards that before the boat. With the boat, it was more the the quality control on our projects. I think making sure that the project management aspect of delivering, whether that was HMO rooms or apartments or whatever, you know, they were actually progressing on time, on budget, but on on quality as well. The, the end product would be something that, you know, wouldn't have a load of defects or things that we would normally pick up during the build wouldn't be missed. I think the first thing I'd like to just underscore for those listening, which I, which I heard, which was which is really good that you, you said you, you needed to focus on the higher value tasks because it's so easy, isn't it, in property? <laughs> I mean, I did chuckle because Simon and I were just talking about my my four-hour drive to Dunelm to sort stuff out, and you actually mentioned Dunelm. So that is the glamour of property investing people. We all live that life. You know, it's Dunelm, it's Ikea, it's B&Q. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's the reality. 
Yeah, but I, but I really like that because in terms of the focusing on the higher value tasks, because too often we get sucked into everything. And uh, as as I've heard said, if you know if everything's important, it means nothing's important, and we we have to we have to prioritize on that. So okay, so you've you've thought about the property management. You've thought that that is not a high value task. So what what were the higher value tasks that you wanted to focus on, and then how did you set about creating the systems and or processes to to do those? So I don't know if I was this enlightened at the time, but the realization I've come to now is where I need to spend time on our business. There's there's three buckets. One of them is is finding good deals. One of them is finding enough money to do those deals. And then the other one as a kind of broad category is leadership slash management, because a big part of it is, well, if I don't want to do these high value tasks, somebody else does. And that means that we move into a new role of rather than being the executor, we need to manage the people that are doing the execution. And, you know, people have got personalities and they've got feelings and, you know, we need to look after them and inspire them and create a nice place for them to work so that they don't leave and work somewhere else, all that sort of stuff. So they're the kind of three things that I, uh, I focus on. Some of that was planned. Some of it took a little bit of learning, but if I, if I know that those three aspects are, are taken care of, we can find deals we can fund them and then I can kind of keep the team and that involves people that we employ and, you know, third parties, whether it's a solicitor or a builder or whatever else, if I can keep them all working towards this, this shared vision, then, you know, our growth, I think is, is pretty much, you know, infinitely scalable. The first question I've got, so I think we'll probably come back to finding and funding, but the when you talk about team, and I know people listening, because this is this is an age old equation, I think a lot of people think about is that we hear that to to scale and grow, you're going to need a team, whether that's insourced or outsourced. How did you have the cash flow available to 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 basically recruit a, a team? Or when you talk about team, was that immediately outsourced? Are, are we talking, you know, initially VAs? So how, tell us a little bit more about that. So, I mean, I think, you know, we all probably spend more on our, our team than we would maybe acknowledge solicitors, accountants. You know, there are people that we we need to pay for because, uh, not because they do low value tasks, but because they've got a specialist skill set that we can't do. But a lot of us will pay for letting agents. And we got to a stage where probably around about, I can't remember the maths exactly, but we had about, let's say 30 rooms and we were paying, you know, about an average of about 500 pounds per room rental income. 10% management fee, 50 quid a month. So 50 times 30 is 1500 pounds per month. We kept the management in-house, but we always viewed that management fee as like a salary that we paid ourselves. We, we, we looked at that separately. So at that stage, we got to 30 rooms. I was too busy being a letting agent to grow our business any further or at the pace I wanted to. And I thought, well, okay, 1500 quid, that's almost a full-time employee. I could hire somebody for, you know, two grand a month and managing 30 rooms isn't a full-time job for them if that's all they're focused on. So they'd probably have some capacity to do other bits for us as well. Uh, Our first hire was a VA prior to this, but that was more on the podcast side of things. Uh, So, you know, I don't really count them. They did a little bit of help on the property stuff, but our first kind of hire into the business was full-time member of staff who was a property manager slash like administrative role. And yeah, we put our hand in our pockets for about 500 quid a month. And the rest I saw is funded from 
the portfolio. So it was, you know, it was an investment, but that 500 pounds freed up so much of my time that, you know, it, it was a no brainer, or it certainly is now looking back. I think that's a really good approach for it. And again, just bringing that out, it's, it's really good that you, you know, you were managing it. And, and I think how you've seen that to take that 10% and say, actually, we'll put that 10% towards someone else to do what I was doing, I think is uh, quite an astute move, actually, to, to do that. And I'm guessing when you were remote working, so if we just step back to the finding, is that mm-hmm. is that you on a laptop on a boat looking at Zoopla and right move? That was one. Yeah. I mean, initially, yeah. And again, you know, a lot of that is desktop based, whether it's it's researching planning history or, you know, looking at floor plan options. Like It's still, you know, it can be done remotely. I would occasionally fly home to look at specific projects. I'd try to batch viewings. We also, we came home most winters, summer, uh, summer in the med, great winter in the med, you know, it's especially on a boat. Okay. It's warmer than the UK, but in the UK, you've got brick walls and insulation around you. Whereas in the med, you know, 10 degrees feels a heck of a lot colder when it's just a little bit of fiberglass between you and the ocean. So we typically come back to the UK and I'd have a couple of months over winter. We would usually use that time to find a couple of deals, go back to the boat for nine months. And, you know, it it worked. It wasn't perfect. Uh, We kind of sometimes had to force deals that we wouldn't necessarily have done otherwise. And, you know, go, it it, it wasn't perfect, but we, we made that work. And occasionally, like I say, I'd fly home. I said I'd come home every six weeks just to check on things. I probably came home once a summer when, you know, somebody really twisted my arm to sign a document or something. And I'd tie that in with a few viewings. But yeah, predominantly, we we just fit it around the time where we were going to be here anyway. You just reminded me, I was away in Spain last year, and I was waiting for a document from a from a bank mm-hmm. to get to get a further borrowing. So like probably the most important document. And we were in southern Spain. And I had to drive for about an hour and a half to go to the most random petrol garage in southern Spain where no one spoke English just to collect something that someone had faxed. So I just... I just I can totally empathise with that's a challenge that you may well have faced out out on a boat where you where you weren't even getting petrol garages or faxes. It's it's a bizarre antiquated world is property. You know the the conveyancing process, the, the 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 physical signature. I mean, digital signatures are infinitely more secure than me. I'm not saying I've ever done this, but me pretending that I found another British citizen to witness my document. You know, it's it's bizarre. Like, you know, IP addresses and facial recognition, why I need to be sat in a solicitor's office in the UK for a bank to be happy that I actually signed the damn thing, I, I don't know. It's so true. We, we, had, we had some some heated arguments there and ultimately it usually resulted in me losing and then looking for cheap flights. But, you know, again, for 90% of the time to be on a boat to have to come back here once or twice a year, it was, you know, I think we're very guilty of looking for reasons not to do things and if that's the word you know okay, was oh well i can't leave the uk to run my property business because i can't do viewings okay we'll we'll come home and do viewings and then go back to wherever you'd rather be like there, there's there's always a yeah for every excuse you can come up with i think you can find a, a good enough solution and if the you know that sort of alternative reality that you're you're creating is is you know if you genuinely care about it then the the solutions to those problems you know they're they're worth it uh, definitely and you know without without wanting to sound cliched 
like a, a cliched entrepreneurial person, I think sometimes when you put yourself into these situations, you find a solution to the problem. If 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 you just say this is a problem, can't do it, it ends there. Yeah. Whereas actually, you you've actually created a problem by taking yourself out of the country, and then you had to solve that problem if you wanted to continue to build a property yeah. business. I think you know a lot of property is is problem solving, right? Whether you're here or living overseas or, or whatever, it's yeah, it's kind of looking at things through a different lens. I think, and that's where the opportunity comes from. So it's it's a good muscle to build it either way. Well, our experience is that it's all problems. <laughs> okay, it's no, there's there's a, there's a few percentage of good stuff like you know income and you know monthly consistent income when you've when you've built it properly. So we've talked about finding properties, and what we'll do is we'll move on to the funding because again, this is a, an interesting one because you, you've you've clearly built a business significant enough that it could cope with you taking a boat and going out onto the med. But when we talk about funding, and, and we had an interesting question around your podcast as well, how did you set about that? Was your funding from existing relationships so you didn't have to necessarily work on that or think about that? Or, and how did that work? So we've been using, we've been working with private investors since before we went on to the boat. And that was nothing really to do with leaving the UK. It was just a case of, well, the money that we have is not enough to go at the pace that we want to go at. So we can either slow down or again, we can, we can solve this problem. So finance from, from other sources kind of came about out of necessity to want to keep growing. And the, the first kind of, I I spoke about this, this recently, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. The first investor that we worked with who wasn't either my mom or Victoria's dad who I think Victoria's dad threw in 10k to her first project and we were very fortunate that they were in a position to do that but it wasn't life-changing sums of money was somebody who was completely unknown to us until we ran a little event in Stockport about buy to let investing Uh, they, they didn't actually show up they registered for it they didn't show up but we had their email address and then we followed up with them with an offer to you know it was kind of well you know, the the idea of the event was we talked through hotspots in Stockport and, you know, what good investments were, but we used the the leads that we captured from that to say, can you really be bothered doing this yourself? It's hard work, it's slow, blah, blah, blah. We've got a project that's coming up that you can just give us your money and, and get a good return on. Easy peasy. So that was like, you know, very high level, the kind of premise of some of those early events that we did. Uh, he registered for one, didn't show up. He'd just sold a business. Uh, and was looking to to deploy his ga- his cash somewhere, and kind of liked what what we we had done in the past, and was was happy to start with us at a fairly low level, and then kind of went from there. And we've we've just built on that over the years. The podcast helps, but less than you might think, because most of the people who listen to the podcast are like us, like they want to be doing it themselves. So that's not really a big pool of investors for us. But you know, I think having some sort of, of brand awareness and talking about what you do has definitely led to that ability to raise finance and, and keep building the portfolio once, you know, our cash ran out a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. So, so in, in that sense, then the podcast is almost just the, 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 the context or credibility. If people have started looking into you, maybe that you've, you've got that experience and knowledge to, to deliver yeah. on your promise. If they Google us, you know, it's something everyone should think about, right? If somebody Googles you, which most investors will do, they'll they'll 
type your name into to Google to see what comes up and you know they'll probably see some companies house records which is a good thing if you know the if if you you've got an active sort of trading history they might come across your social media profiles they might come across your company website even you know likes of this me being on your podcast if I didn't have my own this might pop up and people would be able to listen to some of my stories so it's all just kind of touch points helping them get to know like and trust me and you know, I think it's it's important that we kind of own that that footprint that exists of us in the online world because people will search for us and you know we want to know that what shows up is that you know it's the right messaging. I think that's a, a very good reason why I, I should never seek private investors. I, I don't want people Googling. I need to me. Google you now, Simon. <laughs> What's going to come up? No, no, no! Don't do, don't do that. <laughs> I'm curious when you decided that it, it would be a good idea to start building a, a sort of online presence and, and a, an audience and things like that if you weren't doing it to find investors what, what was your driving thought behind that um i didn't have much of a strategy there I, you know i was property was i, I mean I, I made a joke at the start but you know kind of having that that early obsession with with property investing and i i did but more so than that was this desire to be like entrepreneurial as enough as that sounds. I wanted to work for myself. I got the corporate job because it kept my mom and dad happy because they wanted to see me, you know, do well at school and then you can go to university and then you can get the job. So I kind of went through the, 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 the pro or went through the motions there to kind of say to them, right, I've done this, but the back of my head was always, I'm going to work for myself. So I was reading books, but like, so Seth Godin, big marketing guy, I don't know if you've come across him before, but written some some good books that I was kind of reading at the time. Uh, there was a podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire, which still goes to this day. John Lee Dumas, the kind of, um, not not anyway, getting into the weeds here, but uh, he's got a, a big podcast where he interviews entrepreneurs that I listened to before we moved to Manchester. I was driving from where we lived in Newcastle across to Manchester on a weekly basis. So, you know, I had plenty of time to kill discovery podcasts that way. There was a few things going on in my head that made me realize that if I wanted to do something on my own, having an audience was, you know, it was probably not going to be a bad thing to do. And I was working on property at the time. So, you know, I started a little blog and then I thought, actually, no, a podcast can get us out to a bigger audience. And it was, like I say, there was no strategy. I wish I could claim to be smarter than this. It was really just a case of, doing it can't be a bad thing. It'll document what we're up to. It kind of, you know, it kind of sharpens the sword a little bit as well for me having these conversations. I remember some of the the earliest guests on the show were people that I had found on Facebook and I thought, oh, wow, I'd love to be doing what they're doing. How can I have a conversation with them? And the podcast opened those doors. They wouldn't have had that conversation with me, Joe Bloggs calling them up saying, hey, can I take you out for a beer? They might've done, but you know, a lot of them would have said no. Whereas I've got this podcast, I've got this platform, do you want to come on to it? It opened doors to a lot of cool people and a lot of interesting conversations that I could learn from. So it was kind of selfish, just thinking, you know, let's let's run with this. Podcasting seems to be a, a, a growing industry or a growing platform. So I tried to make it sound smarter, a smarter decision now than it was at the time. It, it really was just a case of, you know, I've got some free time. I'm, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm a full-time investor now. And I had like one deal on the go. So I was, you know, I, I had a lot of time to kill. 
And I thought, well, let, let's put it to use. And thankfully it paid off. It's still going strong and mm. and definitely definitely worth a listen to, to anyone listening here. I recommend you go, go and check out uh, Mike's podcast. I, I'm curious as we sort of move through through time and we've talked a bit about how you had to build your your team so you could spend lots of time on, on your boat. Mm. But now you're you're not spending lots of time on your boat. And actually, a side question, which I won't let you answer straight away, but maybe you can in a moment. Do you still have the boat? But when when you're now back in, in the UK, how have you had to adapt your team? Have you have you sacked them all and taken over? Or, or, or what's, what's happened there? So first, the the boat we sold in November last year. So we, we moved back to the UK. We had daughter who's now 19 months old so she spent her most of her first year on the boat with us which was exciting and terrifying all at once we we toyed with the idea of continuing boat life victoria was more keen than me my wife but i i definitely saw the business we it was sustainable it was growing but it was growing slower than i wanted it to grow and you know that passion to be entrepreneurial and to grow property business hasn't really died in me. So I I was aware that being on the boat was hampering that growth to an extent. I was also very aware that our daughter was going to start crawling and then walking and then quite possibly unintentionally swimming, which filled me with dread. So we we made the joint decision on the promise that we'll maybe have a boat again at some point in the future. But you know, don't tell Victoria, I don't think that's going to happen. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. What, well, you'll find out who wins the argument based on whether or not we have a boat again in the future. I know where my money is. Well, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but, you know, the problem is they're, they're, they're expensive. So we sold that. Actually, thankfully, COVID was a great time to sell boats because everybody wanted to go and escape from land and be nomadic. And it, so we we got more or less what we paid for. Boats are a terrible investment, but we, we timed it perfectly purely by luck and, and got most of our money back on that. So we sold, moved back to the UK. We, we didn't sack everyone, although our team has shrunk. We got rid of one person when we got back. And somebody else, uh, Will, who's worked with us for the past two or three years and was a great asset, very lovely guy. He came to us straight out of university. There was some, I can't remember, like some COVID scheme to get people into work and to encourage people to hire. I can't remember what it's called. But he kind of came and pitched this to us and said, well, you know, through this this grant funding, you'd only have to pay half of my salary and the government will fund 20 hours a month or 20 hours a week or something like that. So we took him on, no background in property, but you know this like absolutely the right character. He managed our projects for us for the last couple of years. But you know, as as young people want to do, spread their wings, go and experience different things. He's now moved into big sort of corporate world, Manchester City Centre, where he gets to wear a suit and tie to the office every day and have lots of people around him. And right thing for him, my idea of a really bad time. So we're now kind of thinking, how do we? What what is the future of our team look like now that I'm back here? You know, I'm kind of enjoying being back on with some of the project management stuff, but immediately aware that it's pulling my time away from from other parts of the business and family life, which is now obviously ramped up in priority. So the team is transitioning. It's yeah, it's something we're still thinking through. I don't know what the future looks like, but it is definitely more people because I see the benefit of that so much that, you know, I couldn't go back to doing more myself. It's just, it just doesn't sit right with me. 
Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, remind me not to go and work on one of Simon's teams or to follow his, I don't know what business books he's been reading, but uh, just just get rid of everyone. Is That's not the modus operandi I've heard many times. But I, it, I wasn't suggesting it was a good idea. I was just, just, just curious whether that might have been the course of action. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, you know, the question is, is logical. It just, it wasn't, I wanted to get back into the business when we came home. I didn't want to get back into the stuff that I was, you know, I'd, I'd kind of chosen to get rid of. So yeah, definitely more sort of high level strategic is where I want to be focused. Yeah, no, that's great. And it sounds like you got your guy from the Kickstarter scheme and I used that during COVID as that's well. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, I got, uh, one, I got a couple of people from that actually and it was, it was really good and showed me the, the level. Of, so final thing as we draw sort of into the, you know, final throws of this podcast is one thing I'm thinking before we move on to kind of what your one of your biggest learning stroke mistakes was, was in terms of, you know, what you've you've built in terms of the, you know, the systems and processes, do you, do you, have you kept most of that? And do you find that, you know, talk, you know, referring to what we talked about before that you've actually built, because I, I tell you what I hate is that a lot of the stuff I do, you have to do these, you know, what do they call them? SOP documents or, yep. you know, I, I forgot what it stands for now, but you know, you, you basically you write down all of the, the steps involved of doing a thing, which is like, if you were going to send me to hell on earth, that would be the place to send me where I just have to sit down and write basically what I call admin. Yeah. However, I, I do understand that that is how you set yourself free. So did that happen as a result of what you, you know, you traveling away? And if it did, is that something that you've retained within the business? Yes, yes, and yes. I think when it comes to those SOPs, and outsourcing stuff generally we definitely made a few mistakes we didn't get it right from the start and you know we learned a lot along the way i think jess who came in as our lettings manager into that role but now very much is kind of you know more operations director if you want to call her you know it's a very grandiose title for a very small team but she she runs the day-to-day not just looking after the the property management but you know, she'll deal with our solicitors and she'll deal with brokers and like she kind of makes sure that the the ship keeps going in the right direction. She came in with a sort of decade track record from property management. So that piece that I really didn't enjoy, I, I basically, the remit was you need to come in and professionalize this in our business. We had hired somebody into that role prior to Jess who didn't have experience. And my thinking was, well, we can bring somebody in with, you know, again, I think attitude and character count for a lot and we will train them up. But without that, it's, it's, it's a very different process to go through training somebody. And if you're quite OCD, as I thought I was, and, you know, things want to be done my way and you you like writing these procedures and job manuals and stuff, you can do it. But with Jess, we realized straight away, she came in on day one and kind of saved us like her annual salary just by sorting stuff out for us. So there, there's definitely times and places to kind of go cheap and cheerful versus pay somebody with that expertise just to come in and get something off your plate. And with Jess, it was absolutely the right decision because she she just takes care of it and I don't need to worry about what she's up to, which is a nice place to be. Yeah, and that is a great example of why recruitment can be so powerful in a business. And I had a, an operations manager who's with me and going to start with me full time very soon. And um, she just does the things that I just have no desire to do. And uh, for anyone that is interested, and I'm sure there's none, 
SOP is standard operating procedure. And I'm usually good with acronyms, but it, it demonstrates just how little I like this stuff that I can't even remember that because it, I just just saying those words makes me shiver. Um, so, Mike, you've, you've shared with us a lot about and, um, you know, it's been really good learnings from from what you've done. And I think there's some really useful things in there, hopefully for the listeners. What would you say of the potentially many or several mistakes and learnings that you've had of all of them at this point in time? What would you say is one of the big in, biggest learnings that you've taken from what, what you've done in the recent past? I, I mean, I think several spring to mind. Some The, the one that I'm going to share, I'm, I'm not even really comfortable talking about it yet, but it's, it's you know, it, it's happened. It's passed as we will survive talking about our rather gung no gung ho is maybe the wrong term but you know we we had a gun to our head with some of our sourcing because we had a strict time schedule the i think the worst decision that i have made so far is to buy a building that we never should have bought that we have now sold we we got planning permission approved on it we did a strip out and then we sold it and i probably lost 50k on that just out of pocket just gone and that's you know that's that's a, that's a that to me that's very painful we we will survive but you know victoria's christmas list might be a little bit shorter this year than uh i i bought that deal in one of our winters when we were back home because that was just the frame of mind that i was in oh i'm home i need to buy a deal it was also about a week before victoria went into labor. I was in the maternity ward on the phone to our broker. And all of these things should have informed me that I probably should have taken a pause on this deal. But I was bought into growth for the sake of growth. I was bought into, oh, it's good for the brand to be seen to be being active. And all of these things that were external and not the right decision for for us as a family for the business and we bought this stupid deal that we never should have bought and it, it there, there was nothing inherently wrong with the project it just wasn't the right thing for us at that time we didn't really have the capacity to give it the attention that it needed and it, it just became a noose around our neck so cutting our losses and, and losing 50 grand was probably the lesser of two evils and yeah it's uh I, I don't know what we can take from that other than, you know, never feel rushed into a decision. You know, if you want to sleep on something, sleep on it. I, I have certainly changed how I approach things as a result of that. And I'm less concerned about what other people think of me and, oh, what if we don't have a deal on the go at this point in time? Like, who can, on, only you know what is right for you and your business at that point in time. And, uh, you know, it took me probably trying to showboat a little bit to other people to realize that they're not the ones that are going to be out of pocket 50 grand if it doesn't go to plan. Yeah, it's very honest. And obviously it, it sounds like a, a fresh wound. So we won't, we won't uh, put too much salt it, in the there. The dust has settled a little bit now. So it's, it's yeah, the, the pain is easing. You know, it's a, a dirty scab now rather than uh, an open wound, I think. This is going to give you zero comfort whatsoever. But I do think one positive learning is the fact that you are able to accept and acknowledge the sunk cost of the 50k because mm. i i know some people and i've seen them with de particularly with developments that are quite large where they keep digging that hole yeah. and that hole only goes one way it just yeah. gets bigger and a fifth i've seen a 50k problem become 
10 times that because yeah. they weren't willing to let go. And as I say, I know it's no comfort to you because that's a, still a lot of money, but at least I think you had the humility at that stage, maybe not before, but at least at that stage to, to acknowledge. But the, the one bit I am interested in, and, I, and again, I don't want to go into details, but and, and I heard the things you said about you know going in for the wrong reasons, but was it just that the numbers didn't, weren't right for you in that deal to continue because you've, you've done the strip out you've you've potentially got the team or, or maybe not I don't know but was it just that you go actually this this just isn't right in the portfolio from a from a portfolio perspective no I think that there were it was probably a series of errors because I felt kind of well we need to get this deal over the line not just are we going back to the boat but we've also got this baby coming and that's going to take me out for a couple of months I probably I did. I, I I either didn't do enough analysis on the deal, or I made it. You know, I I persuaded myself that it was rosier than it was, or easier than it was. We had other projects on the go that, you know, I often think one deal finished is better than you know, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, if we're talking cliches, far better for us just to have cracked on with what we we had in the pipeline finish them and actually get the income from them then just keep adding more and more to the portfolio without without getting anything done so i spread ourselves a little too thin because i raised the money to do that project and then immediately i was new dad and i wasn't thinking about okay well let's push this project forward as quickly as possible let's raise the funds that we need to actually do the development on this so all of a sudden we had you know three or four hungry capital intensive projects and only the funding in place for two or three of them and it it was just it was just putting pressure on on every part of the business the team were stretched then finances were stretched then and the deal itself it it was okay but it wasn't worth losing sleep over i think as, as well there was you know a lot of uncertainty we had this when covid first came in okay, the the whole world's going to implode and things are going to change drastically. And then we had the COVID spike. And then more recently, you know, with mortgage interest rates, there's been signs for you know, 12 months probably now of things starting to slow down again. It was, it was just a big commitment to make without having any real certainty on what the, the outcome looked like. No, great. And I think that's, uh, again, itself is a really good learning that it's a cumulative impact of all of the things you had going on, just not just one thing, because it, it's, it's really as simple as that. So we've dunked you into the depressive waters. Let's finish on a higher note and talk about you know next for you. So in terms of your property business, assume you've got goals. What's what are the plans for the uh, IPI portfolio? So longer term, our our overall business vision if you like is to to create 500 new homes over the course of i mean i say over the next decade it might take us 20 years to get there you know it's a long-term goal a decade is a nice round number to put on it but if we don't get there within 10 years i don't really mind it's just a a big scary target to to push towards and you know i think that gives us a, a certain focus and it brings in interest from people from partners it's something that gets me excited you know if we can have a very small impact on the housing market and make a profit whilst we're doing it then that's a great place to be shorter term i suppose it's about continuing to uh you know look at 
individual deals and get them completed quickly. I think, you know, the market just now is uncertain. So looking at things that what one of my mantras has always been never take on any one deal that could kill you, right? And it was the same with that one that we ended up selling. It was painful, but had that been our first deal, it would have bankrupted us. Thankfully at the stage we're at now, we we were able to to survive that. So I think, you know, it's about delivering what we've got in the current pipeline it's about thinking what our team looks like because you know we've had a bit of change with us moving back to the uk and a couple of our our team leaving there's a there's definitely work to be done on the business and thinking about what the right next step is because it's an evolution and somebody listening to this who hasn't done a single deal might be thinking oh well you know why do i need a an operations manager and a, a project manager you probably don't and equally, somebody who's 10 years ahead of us is, well, they've only got a couple of employees. That's not a business. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of thinking, well, what do we need to do now to get us to the next stage? And then when we're there, we can reassess and think what comes after that. So, you know, I kind of, it's it's the next, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a year out, two to three years out, what does the business need to get us that next step? And that's probably, you know, a bit of work on the team continuing to deliver projects so that we can boost that income. And then, you know, once the dust settles on that and I feel like the team are in a place to go, we'll, we'll kind of think, well, do we scale up? Do we do more deals, bigger deals? But yeah, maybe that gives you some ideas to, to what's keeping me up at night. Other than a 19 month old. Yes. Yeah. Every night for the last 19 months, uh, nobody tells you this before you have kids. So they do not sleep and uh, they can be, little monsters and for some reason we still love them they wake up the next day or we wake up the next day or you know you're all kind of already awake anyway and uh yeah this 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 very small loud package you're just like i i don't know why but i adore you with with every ounce of my being and it's a very strange dynamic but you know it's it's uh it's a new challenge right so it is yeah And, and they also give us that fuel to go and do those things and i think those you know big hairy audacious goals are you know things for me that on their own don't mean a lot but when we couple into that you know I want to do something I want to build something you know both literally and metaphorically and you and you've got children as well I think it makes it even more meaningful for me about yeah. creating that impact so I think that's a a great way to end the show and, and Mike it just leaves uh, Simon and myself to thank you for taking the time out to join us today very appreciative of your time and for everyone else if you've enjoyed this episode, which we hope you have if you've listened up to this point, because that, you know, that takes dedication. If you have, just scroll down, leave a rating and or review. Uh, we'd be very, very grateful. And if you want to comment on anything that we've talked about today, just reach out to us at B-I-Z of Property on Twitter. That's at Biz of Property on Twitter. And other than that, we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah.